Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 343, recorded May 30th, 2021. So we're getting close to the end of the Gold Key, so we only have two more episodes left. So today we're doing issues 58 and 59, and then next week we'll do 60 and 61, plus there's like a few pages that were in the uh, Star Trek Enterprise logs, which we'll cover too. But those are like incredibly short. Oh, okay, cool. But then uh, when we started recording, uh, Ken uh, mentioned that there's an issue sixty-two that I had no idea about. Well, it, it's apparently when they stopped, when they wrapped up, uh, when Gold Key wrapped up doing Star Trek, they had a uh, issue sixty-two in the pipeline, which apparently, for whatever reason, they they never actually published. So, um, Eagle Moss, who we also just recently found out, uh, I mean, we, we knew that they were publishing a lot of, uh, Star Trek, uh, comic books, reprinting things, but, uh, they're, they're apparently on a mission to reprint every Star Trek comic book ever. Um, and as part of that, they're going to print the, uh, the canceled uh, 62, uh, Gold Key, issue 62, which is very fascinating. So, did they actually have it all done and they just decided not to incur the expense of actually publishing it and distrib- distributing it? Uh, or did they have to do, did Eagle Moss have to do something to uh, finish the uh, comic? Right. Yeah, I know, what, what I do know is that they, uh, they lost the rights to... Um... Star Trek. Yeah, they lost the Star Trek rights to uh, Marvel. Oh. But I did not know that they were still, you know, that it would caught them off surprise that much that they had a whole a whole issue done and ready to go. That they couldn't potentially, publish. And they just couldn't publish it because Marvel now had the rights. So that'll be interesting. Hopefully Gold, uh, Eagle Moss will have like a little history type thing and can fill me in on what I don't know. Right. So that's very interesting. Very interesting. That's that's fascinating, and it's and it kind of underscores that even when we claim victory and say mm-hmm. that we've we've reviewed every Star Trek comic book ever published, um, there will continue to be Star Trek comic books published. So maybe that's an opportunity for us to revisit the uh, podcast every once in a while. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Well, that's interesting. That's uh, news to me, and and welcome news at that. Indeed. Uh, I'm sure the writing and the artwork is going to be just as great as these two issues we're doing today. Oh, man, you had to bring that up. (laughs) Now I'm not so interested. (laughs) Now that's mean. Uh, But, uh, but yeah, these, these may be not the best. Yeah. Well, you know, on the grand continuum between really sucks and, hey, this is pretty good. Uh, these two are like a little bit more towards the first thing I mentioned. Not, not, not incredibly uh, great, but right. still good. Yeah, it's still Star Trek. We got we okay. got Kirk and the boys and girls. So there you go. All right. Well, you want to just jump into the uh, the first issue? Yes. So I'm doing the first one, issue fifty eight. The title. Yes, the brain-damaged planet. <laughs> Planets can have brain damage. There you go. And then the Enterprise visits such a planet, apparently. Okay, published date, December 1978. The writer is George Cashdan, art by Alden McWilliams. And the cover. So it's uh, an interesting cover. Uh, Kirk and McCoy are standing in what looks like a pile of fur creatures. They're sort of like tribbles, but with much longer hair. 
they're fighting these creatures as they stand in front of a huge brain. So they got big, blocky, blue text saying, Can Dr. McCoy cure the brain-damaged planets? Hmm, let's find out. So that's the cover. And uh, the teaser page presents Kirk and McCoy's head and shoulders showing shock and dismay as they are being attacked by white furry balls with hair spikes coming out of them at all angles. McCoy says they need to get out or these things will choke the life out of them. While Kirk bravely says they can't leave since millions of lives depend on them. There you go. So that's the teaser page. The Enterprise comes upon an asteroid that has signs of human-like population, but they have odd brain waves. Kirk beams down with an away team that includes a blonde-haired male geology specialist we've never seen before. <laughs> what could that mean? They find a cityscape made up of patches of des- devastation and completely intact civilization right next to each other. They come upon three of the planet's inhabitants, two of which have sidearms. One of them asks where Kirk and his people are from, to which Kirk happily admits they're from another world. So much for that pesky prime directive. As Kirk gets on explaining how they want to establish ongoing communications with the people of the asteroid and learn about their asteroid, the geologist picks up some soil from the ground and inexplicably puts it on his tongue. Kirk says it's a good old-fashioned way of testing the soil, but if you have an advanced tricorder in your hands, it's just stupid and unhygienic. Uh, Kirk didn't say the the last bit. I said that. Curiously, the locals grab their heads in pain. McCoy says their brainwaves have suddenly gone wild. They start attacking, and after a brief battle, Kirk calls for a hasty retreat. They look around and see all the people they encounter are fighting to the death and setting things on fire. McCoy wants them to do something to save these people from themselves, but Kirk says they can't interfere unless their lives are threatened. On cue, a flamethrower fires close to them as they are called spies and told to surrender. Kirk orders phasers on stun, and they blast their way out of town and end up in a cavern on a hill. Freyer, the geologist, is ordered to stand guard at the, mouth's, at the cave's mouth while the terrific trio enter the cave while the fighting seems to have died down. McCoy reports those people's brainwaves are still distorted, just as his tricorder is shot out of his hands by Freyer. He has gone muy loco and is asking which traitors want to be the first to die. Kirk tries to talk him down uh, briefly and then tackles him. Spock neck pinches him. Dr. McCoy says the longer they stay on the planet, the more likely they will be afflicted. Also, so Kirk orders them all back to the ship. Freya recovers and is calm again, but Dr. McCoy says he is still afflicted with what looks to be Ackwood's syndrome, which is caused by a virus. The serum the good doctor synthesizers is not working as it should on Fryer. The virus is still active in him. Spock reports that the sensors have detected a very interesting life form beneath the surface of the planet. Spock flashes up a picture of the worst purple toupee I personally have ever seen. Shocked, McCoy identifies it as a virus, but it's grown to millions of times the normal size of a, of a virus, which is normally microscopic. Who knew viruses could look like cheap toupees? I guess all those COVID virus renders we have been seeing the past year are way off. So much for science. Part 2. Kirk and McCoy enter the bridge in time for Spock to show them, on the main view screen, a computer-generated rendering of a huge brain that resides within the asteroid. The brain is infested with the mutant virus. In its diseased state... 
when disturbed, the megabrain is transmitting radio waves that are causing those who come into contact with them to be driven partially mad, to take violent actions driven by paranoia. So the inhabitants of the asteroid are not infested with the virus, but they are driven to have similar symptoms by megabrain. And that's what I'm going to call it from now on, megabrain. McCoy observes that what Spock is describing is Ackwood's syndrome on a massive scale. McCoy says the only way to help these people is to kill the giant virus attacking the giant brain. Kirk, of all people, says Spock is right about the Prime Directive, stopping them from from enacting McCoy's proposal. McCoy makes another plea to save the population, and Spock says he awaits the captain's orders. No pressure, Kirk. Suddenly, they are called to the sick bay, where Freyer uh, is, is worse and thrashing about wanting to attack everyone. McCoy uh, shoots him full of tranquilizer to settle them down. Kirk decides to enact McCoy's plan and beams down into subterranean caves with McCoy and Freyer, who wants to go along. While searching for the giant brain and the main site of the infection, they encounter huge antibodies the size of tribbles with spikes that the landing party must run from. Freyer finds he can sense the location of the virus and leads them to it. Freyer gets out in front of McCoy and Kirk and slides down a long incline until he is at the site of the infection, as evidenced by the many bad toupees on the ground. Freyer calls up to McCoy to let loose the antiviral agent. Between the agent and the mass of antibodies that they have been luring to the spot by the landing party, they have a chance of curing the diseased megabrain. I love saying that. Megabrain. After the cloud of viral agent clears, Kirk and McCoy climb down to find all the toupees are dead, but not before they killed Freyer. Aw. The megabrain is saved by Freyer's noble sacrifice and McCoy's antiviral agent. The rejoicing is cut short when the antibodies that are still very much alive start to attack McCoy and Kirk. They beam back to the ship. Kirk verbally acknowledges Freyer's sacrifice and says his report will recommend Federation membership for the asteroid folks. What? 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 McCoy asks Spock if he feels good for saving the asteroid population despite the Prime Directive. Spock earnestly responds with a justification for Kirk circumventing the Prime Directive, in this case, which triggers laughter from Kirk and McCoy. The end. The same Prime Directive that's supposed to keep them from just telling the randos that uh, they're from another planet? (laughs) Exactly, exactly! The randos. <laughs> yes, I completely agree. Although I got to say, uh, in a private little war, um, uh, which is the one with the Bagatu and stuff. Right. Um, I mean, Kirk, Kirk and, the, and Starfleet were helping um, the hill people or the valley people, whatever they were. Uh, but... Um, but they were doing it incognito. In this issue, Kirk is like, oh, yeah, we're from outer space, and yeah, and this is how we do things when we, uh, we get to a new planet, and uh, yeah, 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 you know, we, we analyze everything, and we, we eat soil, and... You yeah, know. We, lick, we lick the dirt. Exactly. You know, you know normal stuff. Exactly, the normal stuff, so it's like, oh, my God. Yes. Okay. Prime Directive is very confusing in this book. Yeah. So what did Fryer sacrifice himself doing? I mean, sliding down the hill. I mean, that's basically all he did was, I guess he led them and then just slid down the hill and died. So, I mean, I get that he died and it was it was horrible, but they act like they couldn't have done it without him and that he did something while he was down there that saved them. Well, I, I didn't mention this in the synopsis, but in the book it says pretty clearly that um, it, it gave some BS reason why McCoy's tricorder couldn't uh, find the site of the infection. Oh, okay. So and, that, I, and I I don't remember what the BS justification was, but they said it and so, you know, they they're running from the antibody furballs. Right. 
and they're trying to find the site of the infection so they can do this viral agent thing. And then if they didn't bring, uh, what's his face? I forgot his name. Fryer. Fryer. If they didn't bring him, who suddenly magically can yeah, can detect a, where all the virus is, because he's uh, somehow linked to him because he ate the dirt. I don't know. <laughs> well, he's he's definitely been affected by it, right? So, I mean, he did lead McCoy to the spot so that he could use the viral agent, and and I'm not sure if I'm just reading more things into it than I should, but all the antibodies are chasing after the landing party. So I had the impression that all those uh, antibodies somehow just, you know, went right past McCoy and Kirk and went down the incline and, uh, you know, also attacked the, um, the virus. Oh, you think he distracted the antibodies too? Well, yeah, definitely when well, they're releasing the goo it look, or smoke, it looks like it, they're passing them. So, yeah, maybe you're right. Yeah, and, and maybe, maybe I'm they, just... they maybe they're only attacking Fryer because he had the virus. Oh, and they don't really care Ooh. about McCoy. No, oh. that doesn't make sense because oh. then they tried to attack him at the end. It... Yeah, this this episode's kind of weird. Yeah, the, yeah, the, this story is is all it it's back and forth. I mean, we use the phrase all over the place, and that's kind of appropriate for this one, right? The Prime Directive. No, who cares about the Prime Directive? Uh, you know, <laughs> Fryer can do this. Fryer can't a do human that. Human-shaped yeah. brain embedded in a planet. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All normal. Yeah. So brains really depend upon having a lot of blood flowing to them. Mm-hmm. So how did the brain get nourishment when it's inside of this pl- this asteroid? Right. It seems very dry there. Yep. They're walking around without. It's not like squishy or anything. Yep. Yep. So the brain is just sitting there in dry caves. Right. In the middle of an asteroid. Yes. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So and the virus, uh, the virus, like you said, is a toupee, and then sometimes it looks like there's like clamshells or or something inside the toupee. So it's like a purple toupee. With like clamshells scattered throughout, <laughs> and it's not like the cool like you know seashells that you know you put in braided hair or something like that. No, right. these just look like you know oysters or something. Little tiny oysters just halfway open and like just scattered throughout the hair. Yeah, looks nasty. Yeah, and the toupee and the hair in the toupee is not nearly as good as a shack toupee. Let me just say mm. that. No way. No way. Well, this is this is more like a cheap one you'd get at, uh, you know, Walmart. It's more like the one you found buried in the dumpster behind the Red Lobster. <laughs> That's what it looks like. Yeah. <laughs> I was also thinking it looks a little bit like Cousin It, but uh, if he was flat and dead, or if something. he was flat and dead, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh yeah, the brain thing. Oh, I was so off. I was so turned off. <laughs> that was when I was like, "Oh, they're not even going to try." Because <laughs> at first, it's kind of interesting, you know the the, you know they're eating the dirt, which that that also was like that's really stupid, right? But then the way the people act, I mean, you're like, okay, was it because he was going to eat the dirt and that somehow triggered him to go crazy? You know, you're yep. like trying to figure it out. Yeah, it's and like then, a it's like a mystery. Yeah, and then it's like, oh no, it's a giant brain. <laughs> Being attacked by that throws weak, off radio waves. Monsters. That somehow, yeah. uh, hmm. yes. then I was like, "Oh, oh, that's right. This is not written for me. I'm out." <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. This is gold key. How <laughs> <laughs> silly of me. Yeah, and then uh, and then what about that that joke at the end? What, what, there was nothing funny about that. I mean, laughing. Spock was just explaining. You know, a justification for, for Kirk's decision. So right. what was so funny about it? I don't know. I don't, know. I don't get uh, it. I don't get it. Uh, I guess, imp- I don't know, that the virus was impeding the world's evolution. And they're like, ah, that's funny. Yeah, I don't know. It's not funny. Yeah. Uh, maybe it is the Prime Directive thing that they're like, <laughs> you care about the Prime Directive now? Mm. Oh, ho, ho, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> yeah. 
I don't know. There's a joke at the end of the next one, too, that I also didn't get. Yeah. Well, you know, if there were actors there to actually do the delivery, maybe it would have worked better than being right. in the printed word and, you know, exactly. on a page. Who knows? Maybe, maybe we're losing something in translation. Could be. So I did like the uh, in the little teaser page. I liked the uh, the the Kirk um, face. No, oh. <laughs> I mean I, I've seen I've seen like a, a still of of Shatner making that face before. Uh-huh. I forgot what episode it is. Um, right, but uh, you could tell that they just took that exact picture and just drew the little. I think you're right. Cotton balls around his head to give him something else to be startled about. <laughs> Yeah, it's like when Shat goes over the top and says things like, pain! <laughs> yeah, you know, they, they reuse that one a lot, too. Exactly. And he clenches his, his abs and, and his arms go out a little bit and his elbows come in. Oh! And his mouth opens. That's it. That's the look. Now, I like, I like McCoy. I mean, McCoy looks like he's in pain. He, he right. looks like he almost is a little crazy with the amount of pain he's feeling. I, that looks kind of good. But, yeah, but it doesn't look like DeForest Kelly to me. Well, that ain't the only. That isn't the only panel where it doesn't look like DeForest Kelly. Right, it is gold key. It's it's gold key. But they did they did okay with Kirk. They did okay with Spock. But there's there's more than a few panels where McCoy just looks like an old jowly fat guy. Yeah, yeah. No, or maybe I, maybe I, not that that fat, but he's got jowls on him. Yeah, no, I totally know what you're talking about. Yeah. So, can we talk about the uh, the inhabitants of the planet? Sure. Um, uh, on no. the first couple pages, and then you never see him again. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, the guy that's wearing the uh, green and black striped dress. I don't know what it uh-huh. is. Some sort guy? of thing. Yeah. Is he supposed to be that tall? Because sometimes he looks like normal size, but when they start fighting, he's a giant. He looks like. You know, the guy who played Jaws, I forgot his name, Richard something, um, Jaws and um, the James Bond movie. Sure. I mean, Richard Keel or Richard. Yeah, that's something like that. I mean, that was a tall dude. And this guy is a tall dude. He does. I mean, he towers over. I mean, Kirk goes up to maybe his armpit, if that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That, That's tall. Yeah. 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 And their clothes. Now. You 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 said they they looked uh, like it might be like Mexican peasant garb or something. Uh, that's where that's, I was wondering if they were going with, with right. the the big sombreros and stuff like that and the the pistols and stuff. Yeah, and and I don't know the one guy the the short kind of dumpy guy who has his hat on. Yeah, the pointed um, hat. It point it, it, right, and because it's pointed. Um, I don't know why, but that's just singing to me like a Peruvian hat or something. Right. But, you know, South American, Middle American, whatever. Right. Um, it's that kind of thing. That's kind of look they have. Right. But that's just for the hat and the holsters. Their their well, outfits themselves are very gold keys. We're going to put purple stripes on something or green stripes on something and call it alien. Uh, I, I, it's funny how, ever, how every race in this uh, in these books – have this same uh, pattern style. Mm. <clears throat> yeah. Well, again, I, I, I'm just going to say this. I'm no expert on Peru, but um, I believe Peruvian clothing tends to be very brightly colored. Or, and striped? I'm not sure about striped. But, I don't, but it I, could be. Yeah. It, 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 a little bit of the brightness, colorfulness might might also have been inspired by Peruvian clothes or right. traditional Peruvian clothes. I don't know. But, yeah. Well, regardless whether where it's from, right. I felt a little weird reading it because I was like, is this kind of like... Racist? Racist. I mean, because it kind of feels like, you know, they're, oh, it's, you know, South America or Central America and it's just... They're, I mean, because the, the city is destroyed, right? So well, parts are, de- parts are destroyed and other parts are 100% intact. Yeah, but even the parts that are intact, or at least where they're at, it's all like crumbling and big, big gouges and the, the the wall to show the exposed brick underneath and things like that. I mean, it it doesn't look nice. Well, hmm. 
I don't know. I just I just felt weird reading it. Like, where, where are they going with this? And then they don't show up anymore after page four, so it didn't really matter. <laughs> exactly. These people really don't. Yeah, their involvement in what's going on is 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 irrelevant. Right. Yeah. They have flamethrowers, though. <laughs> yes. Flamethrowers. What an interesting thing to throw in there. I guess they had to explain why the, you know, so many parts of the city were, were burning. Flamethrowers. That'll help justify it. Yeah, and I thought it was funny because Kirk makes a big deal that they don't have time to adjust their phasers. So he mm-hmm. just shoots the the tank of the flamethrower. So I was expecting, oh, that's about to explode. No, mm-hmm. just they get away. So they don't show what happens after he shot that tank. Uh, which, <laughs> Explosion. That's what I assume. Oh, like, go, like three of the alien. Out. Yeah, the three of the natives got blown up in the, uh, the tank explosion. Yeah, that's no problem. I'm, I'm assuming that's what happened. Yeah, because there was a flamethrower guy, and I think there were a couple people behind him. Yeah, there's a couple people behind him. Yeah. And then he shoots shoots the tank, and then it's just the next panel, and then they escaped. Yeah. Just, oh, you missed something there. <laughs> <laughs> this is the TV version, the edited version. Yeah. So, uh, how about that big old uh, WWE move that McCoy does on that one native? Oh, where he does the body slam? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. It's a weirdly drawn picture. So, so the dumpy guy, uh, heavy, shorter guy, uh, who, who, lo- who had the hat on, loses his hat, and he's running at McCoy in one panel. And then the next panel, McCoy has picked up this guy and has his arm through the guy's crotch and is upending the guy and throwing him to the ground. Just amazing. Yeah, it's it's weird. (laughs) I mean, McCoy never did stuff like that. He was always (laughs) the guy that was like, oh boy, (laughs) I'm not a fighter. I'm a lover. Yeah, and I really don't know how you would even do that. How would you flip a guy over like that and have your hand positioned up his butt like that? It's, I don't know. It's a very weird, yeah. weird move. And if you were the Rock, you probably have a, the strength that maybe you could do something like that. Not that he'd want to, but at least he'd have the strength to do it. <laughs> Where I don't think McCoy quite has the physical cap- capability to do that. Right. Right. And then I don't even know what Spock's doing in that picture. It looks like he's just like grabbing his face, grabbing his his opponent's face and just bringing him to the ground that way. Yeah. Well, maybe it's supposed to be a neck pinch, but you can't see his hand. And his hand right. seems to be more on his the person's head, not the person's shoulder, but who knows. Yeah, when I was a kid, we had um, a local wrestling thing, and they uh-huh. and they and there was this family called the Von Erichs that would do this thing called the Iron Claw, which was basically they would just put their hands on somebody's temple like that and just start squeezing and <laughs> supposedly it looks so bad. <laughs> uh-huh. But uh, that, that's what it reminded me of in that picture. But I'm like, well, nobody's going to know who the Von Erics are because that was, that was back before it was, uh, you know, one one wrestling thing for mm-hmm. the whole country. Right. So, uh, so I don't know. I don't know what he's doing there, but uh, for all you Texans... Sorry. Von Erics. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. There's probably there might be somebody out there listening, maybe that would go, "Oh yeah, yeah, Fun Erics, yeah." <laughs> what with Claw of Death? What, what what was it called? The Iron Claw. The Iron Claw. Okay, cool, cool. So, uh, as far as the artwork goes, um, yeah. I really I really like the Enterprise shots for whatever reason. Me too. I, I thought they looked really good. I have the same comments. In particular, there was one. Um, Page 13 of the PDF, there is a great shot of the Enterprise. It's a very wide shot where it's around the blue. It's above, I guess that's the asteroid, whatever. Right. Uh, it's round, it's blue. And then there's some kind of green like uh, ring around it or something. Right. And I, that page I, in particular, I love that drawing. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, yeah it, and it's not it, the only then, good one, as you as you say. Yeah, no. Then then the couple pages before they have the 
Enterprise swooping in at your face, right. and it looks fantastic. I mean, it's all well proportioned. Right. The uh, details really nice. Uh, some of the best uh, Enterprise I think I've seen on Gold Key. Yeah. And doesn't then look like a, doesn't look like a uh, what is it that they always look like like a pie sheet or pie pie pan <laughs> doesn't look like a pie pan. Right. There's enough detail and and correct shape to it that it looks good. Right. Um, yeah, so we already talked about McCoy looking bad in multiple panels. Um, another thing in the drawing that I, that I'm going to hit it upside the head, (laughs) the artist upside the head on one side and then give him kudos on the other side. So, uh, when McCoy is giving, um, what, Freer, uh, the the blonde geologist guy. A yeah. shot, a hypo shot. Right. When he's getting ready to do it, and uh, Freyer's like shoot, shouting at him, like, you're poisoning me, help! You know? Right. You can see what McCoy has in his hand is very pointy. I mean, yeah, like it, a oh, hypodermic needle. Exactly. It looks like a modern day hypodermic needle. But then in the next panel, right next to it, they have a close up of McCoy, you know, shooting uh, this guy uh, with the hypo. And it's a really good drawing of the Taw's hypo, which is not a needle at all, or at least it's not pointy or anything. Right, right. You know, it looks like a more advanced thing than a hypodermic needle. Um, and so on the one panel, it's like, what's, what? That's a needle. And the next one, it looks great. So, Right, and it even makes the sound. There you go. Exactly. It's got a bunch of little S's right next to the uh, hypo. Yeah, you don't usually see it looking that good. Yeah. But you're right. I always liked the Taz uh, hypo spray as opposed to the one Crusher used, which mm. looked like just like a little. It looks like the thing that you check your temperature, the digital thermometers that you check on your forehead now. Uh, but right. back then, it was what she used to give people yep. injections. Right. So kind of like a like a pistol handle kind of thing, but small. And then and then the the business end was just like right angled or. Right. Whatever, and then that's what would touch people. Yeah. Yeah, but I always liked McCoy's because it, and then it had that little cartridge on the bottom that mm-hmm. you could switch out to change out the vials. Did you could actually see the medicine? Right. Yeah. As opposed to Crusher's, which I guess replicates it. So whatever she wants is always there. <sighs> is which that is how that works? Cool I don't that's know, cool. but it, I mean, she could just type it in. Yeah. Oh, this, is, this is 300 cc's of something that doesn't exist. Of Cordrazine. There you go. And then they just start healing. Yeah. Uh, all right, I really don't have anything else. What else you got, Ken? I don't think I have. Yeah, it... I, I don't. I don't. Okay, this is the quick thing. This is just extending on things we said before about the Prime Directive. So, um, at the very end, Kirk is saying he's going to recommend them for Federation admission, admission into the Federation. They just met these people. Right. Uh, w- what level of technology do they have? They're not even supposed to be talking to these people until they've achur- achieved, uh, you know, faster than light travel capabilities, right? Right. They shouldn't be. They, they shouldn't be talking to them about the Federation, much less giving them membership. Maybe um, he's trying to cover his butt from just beaming down there and saying, "We're from. You think we're from out of town? We're from off planet, buddy." Right. Right. He's now I mean, realizing that might have been a mistake. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, you don't know. I mean, they're going kind of crazy and stuff, and you've taken care of the brain, so hopefully people aren't going to go crazy anymore. But you don't know. They could have slavery. <laughs> I mean, you just don't know whether they're culturally compatible with the rest of the uh, Federation. Anyway, okay, that's it. I'm done. Okay. All right, then. Then we'll move on to 59. And uh, this has a publication date of January of 1979. So uh, you remember this time better than I do, Ken. But um, what year did what year did Star Trek: The Motion Picture come out? Oh, wasn't it? Be, well, it was in the 70s. Right. So was it 79 or was it like 78? Uh, I think it was probably earlier than 79. Okay. But it, it might have been close. Uh, yeah, see, I couldn't, I couldn't remember, and uh, and there's a line in here that I was just like, 
you know, is that supposed to be a reference to the movie or not? But, oh, uh, 1979. Star Trek The Motion so Picture came not. out in 1979. Yeah, then that means that this came out before that. So I don't know. The, yeah. I'll, tell, I'll tell you in a minute, but I was just wondering if, uh, if it could have been influenced by the movie. Okay. All right. So, uh, again, January 1979. This one is entitled To Air is Vulcan. Mm. So, uh, this one does have a little bit of credits. The writer is Arnold Drake, and the art is by A. McWilliams. So, the cover shows Spock. Uh, He has his hand on his head, staring at a computer terminal. And then there's an angry woman who watches from behind him. And then Kirk is also standing in the background with a perplexed look on his face. And the caption reads the title, To Air is Vulcan. Which is obviously a play on To Air is Human. So the Enterprise arrives at a planet that has just finished a thousand long year civil war. And uh, it's, it's been over for only about ten years. Uh, they are now a united planet, and even the former losing sides leader, you know, the one who lost 10 years ago, is now actually the uh, official elected president of the planet. So Starfleet thinks that this is pretty advanced uh, achievement uh, for so short after a, a very bitter thousand-year-long civil war. So they're going to make a quick stop and sniff things out. So Spock, Kirk, and McCoy are beaming down to the planet. Uh, McCoy mentions that he now hates being transported, and this seems like it came straight from the motion picture, which I don't remember him ever having a problem in the old show, but maybe he did. Ken Ken can straighten me out later. Uh, Before they beam down, Scotty even throws down some mad insults uh, before he beams them, and he calls McCoy... A, quote, sorry excuse for a sawbones, which I thought was a little mean for Scotty. Uh, When they beam down, they meet up with the president, who is beekeeping. Uh, He tells them that he has created some fist-sized bees and that they make excellent varta, which is what we call honey. He tells them that the stings are quite poisonous and so that they all return back to the house. Uh, Once there, they have a snack and... We are presented that this snack consists of this Varta honey that come from these very poisonous insects. So being a reader, we got to pay attention because this may not come up later. So as they're eating, a beautiful and flirtatious female doctor comes in and she really puts the moves on Kirk and McCoy. And she's asking them things about what their interests are and what uh, do they want to see of these scientific sites around the planet. And for each of her questions, they say, we know what you're talking about, but Spock here is the guy that has the real interest in science. So after all this weird back and forth, they all jump into a car, an electric car, and um, they arrive to the first stop, which is an electric generator that pumps power to the whole planet wirelessly. During the tour, Spock notices that one of the reactors is about to go critical any minute, and he takes it upon himself to turn them off, blanketing 100 million people into darkness. The workers and the woman all point out that Spock was wrong and quickly restore power. Spock says that the data has now changed somehow. McCoy is just loving this, seeing that Spock has made his very first mistake. The second leg of the trip is to the meteorological center that watches over the planet's weather. During the tour, Spock notices that there's a huge tornado that's about to destroy a whole city. He does not understand why no one else is reacting to these readings, or even noticing it. The woman tries to placate him, and then she eventually humors him by making a call to the city to see what the weather's like there. And they report that nothing but blue skies. There's no tornadoes anywhere. Spock, disgraced yet again, is now ordered by Kirk to return to the ship. Uh, They do not say it, but the reader now thinks that this must be that honey 
not settling well in that Vulcan tummy. Oh, the dangers that Spock can do on the ship where there'll be no one there to question his orders. Meanwhile, back to the actual story. On the planet, the uh, woman no longer wants to continue to the tour, and instead she takes Kirk and McCoy to their hotel. McCoy is laughing it up about how Spock has made his first two mistakes, and they just happen to be back in back-to-back. And again, this does not seem to be the way a doctor would act when someone acts completely out of place. Perhaps that honey is working on him as well. Hmm? The next day, the woman returns in a very skimpy outfit. And she invites them to come with her to the 10th anniversary event. Here, they see some crop dusters flying in low and dropping what she calls perfume onto the crowd. Then these huge tractors are brought in for display. The woman talks about how the planet has had no war or no military in the last 10 years due to the peace. Suddenly, the parked tractors start to melt, and we see that Spock has actually rigged them to melt somehow. Thinking that this is another crazy Vulcan mistake, instead we find out that the inside of these giant tractors are actually tanks and Spock was never crazy all along instead he instead of returning to the ship back when he was ordered he instead went on a solo investigation without anybody looking over his shoulders he had suspected that the two mistakes that he made earlier were actually tricks by the people to discredit him and then we also learn that the president himself is in charge of this uh, rebellion and that uh, he wanted to bring the old losing side of the war back to power. Kirk then takes the stand and he addresses all the people around the planet and he tells them that it was actually the president that has now thwarted an attack on his own, on their own planet. And then the president comes up and he, he follows Kirk's lead and he takes credit for something that uh, he was actually the cause of, you know, the whole rebellion. Uh, Kirk then tells McCoy that he is not the first politician to take credit for the opposite of what they were actually trying to do. The Starfleeters beam away, and the red herring of this poisonous honeybee is never brought up. The end. You really focused on on that, that honey. I was focusing so hard on that honey. <laughs> and it had absolutely nothing to do with the whole story. Yeah. I I think you read a little bit more into it than was there. It was just so weird. They spent like three pages going over these genetically altered bees and how poisonous they are. and But they make great honey. And then later nah. they're eating and they're like, is this that delicious honey that they're making? Oh, yes. Eat it up. And I'm like, oh, man, there's something here. This, and then Spock ah. starts acting all weird, and I'm like, oh, this is that honey. We're about to find out. People are going to start <laughs> acting weird. <laughs> nope. Nothing. It was just three pages of honey talk for no reason. <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe the writer had a, beekeep, a beehive of his own and was just like, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just write about the greatness of bees for a bit. I don't know. It seemed weird. Did you not, get, did you not think that was weird, or did you just oh, blow thought- through it? I thought the whole thing was weird, but I didn't think there was any big deal about the honey. I mean, the, the whole thing wasn't making any sense. I mean, how could Spock be that wrong? And right. and then and then the idea that oh, in the end, uh, Kirk sent him back to the ship, and they had somehow communicated to each other what the game plan was going to be, and Spock yeah. was going to look into all this stuff. Yet he purposely didn't tell McCoy because he didn't want to be overheard by bugs or you know. Right, surveillance devices. Not, it's not, like not insects. Exactly right. Um, some kind of surveillance equipment. Yeah. So um, it's like, well, then how 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 were you able to talk to Spock about this? I mean, you had to talk to Spock about it at some point, didn't you? I right. mean, maybe they uh, mind melted. I don't know. We just didn't see it. And, and the idea that uh, the curvaceous doctor is not in on any of this. And she's actually just really believing that Spock's nuts. <laughs> right, right. I mean, and then uh, it, that the whole, it, it just was all straight. It was just, 
But then this at the end, why story. did Kirk not blow the whistle on the president that was oh. about to start a war? <laughs> exactly. And to be like, I'm going to give you credit for thwarting the rebellion that you started. Exactly. And uh, leave. <laughs> Job yeah. well done. Yeah, so it was the main planet then had colony worlds. And then the colony worlds wanted independence. Big, big civil war. And then everybody kind of settled down and they had a peace working. And then this president needs to have power badly enough that he's going to do all these things to, uh, you know, spring, spring the surprise on them and violently take back all these worlds. Right. He's shown he's willing to do this, kill his own people just so he can have power. Um, you know, he ultimate power. He's already president. He's well, already been elected the official exactly. president. But he's got to have even more. I mean, somebody that would do that, and Kirk, you're just gonna, you're just gonna say, oh well, they'll they'll watch him more closely now, and then give him credit for everything. Oh my god. I mean, I, I think the only reason they did that is that that made a quicker, cleaner end of the story. It was quicker. I don't know about cleaner. Well, yeah. I mean, because otherwise, I don't see why they do it. I don't see why Kirk would do it. Yeah. And and what did you think about his speech? Like, right before he goes up to the stage, yeah. he's like, talks to the very flirtatious doctor woman, and he's like, what's a name for an idiot in your, in your planet? And she's like, mm, well, my brother's name is, I forgot his name, Bob. <laughs> my brother's name is Bob, and he's pretty stupid. And then he goes up there, and he's like, oh, fellow citizens, uh, as you can see, the... Whoever orchestrated this is a total bob. You know, it's just yeah. like, oh. <laughs> nobody's going to get that reference. <laughs> and no. it's such a horrible thing for well, a sister to call her brother. Well, okay, so I didn't get, I, I thought he was actually saying that Bob was actually behind all of this. I thought that's what he was saying, as opposed to calling him a bob. I thought, I thought, that he I thought he was actually pinning it, it on. Is, is a bob. I thought okay. that's what it said. Let's okay, well, whatever. Says. It's... Oh, no, 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 yeah, he said that, yeah, the authorities are now seeking the infamous General Bob Gamar, Gamar <laughs> was the name she gave. Exactly. The ringleader. Okay, yeah, you're right. So he's uh, he's saying that this, uh, her brother, <laughs> her brother is the uh, ringleader. So, so Kirk, you, you pinned it on her brother, <laughs> who she may yeah, not like, but. They checked the census still. and there's like, you know what, our records show there's only one Gamar on the whole planet. <laughs> and then, and then he ends up getting executed. Yeah, exactly. Good move, yeah. Kirk. Yeah, that, that, that's and, even and meanwhile, the guy I that should be executed is in power, in total, and in, in near total power. Yeah, and they're all like, "Hail Crane, Keeper of the Peace!" Yeah, <laughs> and he's like, "You're the one who did it." Exactly. It, it kind of reminded me of the uh, the the whole Emperor story arc in the prequels of Star Wars. You know that he was in charge of both the Separatists and the Republic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But at least then it made sense. I mean, that was his way of getting total control. Right. If you're playing both power, sides. Right? Yeah, right. And then you got your lackey uh, being the face of the, uh, of the insurrection. Right. So, I mean, there it made sense Dooku. because he wanted more power than just what the, uh, the president right. had. Right? right. But now he wanted to be an emperor. Right. So yeah. that, that made sense. This guy, he still has the same power as he did before. And, uh, well, I mean, if I guess because his plan got thwarted, I, I don't know. I don't know what his goal was. Well, I Just think like, his, I think his goal was he wanted to have complete control over the colonies again, which right. he didn't have complete control. Um, yeah. At least I have the that I have that impression, or whatever they were fighting for. I guess he wanted to bring that back, right? The whatever it was, the colonies feel like they lost. By losing the Thousand Year War, they wanted to, he wanted to give it back to him. I don't know. Mm, I don't know. But the Thousand it, Years is a long it, war. Yeah, I know. I think the colony. I think the colonies have. Uh, I think it's more like. Uh, maybe it's more like the United Nations, where you've got independent political entities in existence, and they all eventually roll up to the president of the. Um, of the United Nations, but the United, I mean, basically the United Nations president doesn't have much power over anybody. Right. 
Um, and this guy wanted complete dictatorial power over the colonies. I think that's what I think that's what he was trying to go for. But yeah, and then I thought that that perfume stuff that uh, she said those crop dusters were oh, spraying. Right. I kept what waiting that for that about? to be something. Exactly. I was like, what if it's not perfume? What if it's those bees? Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Oh, they're spreading that honey all over everybody. They're all going to start acting crazy. <sighs> you know, I, I was I was so hung up on the bee thing uh, right. just because I I thought that it was supposed to be important. Yep, it was not. No. Okay. So, anyways, can I just mention? And I know this this ish, this comic book is a product of the times. It's time, but. Man, Doctor Ardal. Yeah, the boy. Woman doctor. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the the doctor who's who's working with the female doctor. It's like, ah, what a sexist. <laughs> I mean, they've got this 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 doctor like with come hither looks and moves and then a uh, green striped uh, mini dress. And it, and when she's not in a mini dress, she's in cat suits, right? Uh, skin tight cat suits, very little left to the imagination. Yeah, and she's all up in their faces, putting her hands all over their face when she's like talking to them. Right? Oh, what scientific discovery do you want to know about? You know, I'm just like <laughs> it was weird. How about the reproductive rituals of females on my planet? You know, and like, then I geez. thought, well, maybe she was kind of put off because. The two that aren't emotionalists didn't fall for her feminine wiles, you know, because they just both like, well, you need to talk to Spock. You know, that was how they answered every question she had. Right. So they weren't they weren't falling for it. But then it was just kind of like a setup for McCoy saying, oh, look, she's going to she's going to be sending those those feminine wiles of the one of us that don't care, you know, that kind of thing. Mm. But but then they were still with her the whole time. So it's not like. They really went anywhere. Like I thought, maybe she was trying to split them up or something. Yeah. Well, in the yeah, and I definitely thought she was involved in the whole thing, right? In the middle, but then in the end, it turns out, oh, she didn't know anything about it. Yeah, but I still don't buy that. Yeah. So this is supposed to be aimed at kids, yet they've got female eye candy all over the place. So right. I don't know who who are you writing this for? I'm I'm a little confused. I, maybe multiple audiences. I don't know, right? Or maybe the artist gets a kick out of drawing really yep. hot ding, ladies. Ding. I'm that pretty sure are, that's it. Yeah, whatever. All right. And you notice that uh, when she put on the green green miniskirt, mm-hmm. that uh, it's from the same loom that oh. the, uh, the peasants wore. <laughs> the in the peasants of the issue previous before. issue. I think yeah. you're right. Green and black stripes, baby. Right. Of course. Are- in this case. It's a combination of vertical and horizontal, where exactly. the peasants only had one direction. Right, right. But well, and, yes, and they were, the colors they look also the same. Were wearing in tight miniskirts, either. True, true. There are differences, but yeah. they do look suspiciously alike. <laughs> so I kind of liked again the draw again ship drawing. I like it better than the people drawing in general, but. Um, I do. I find it interesting that they even bothered near the beginning of the issue, where they talk about uh, the Enterprise um, engines reverse full as they slow down to enter orbit. Right. And then they have the you know the 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 multi like ghostly images of the Enterprise depicted. So the fantastic deceleration from hyperlight speed splits the ship image into countless multiples. Yeah, I've so, never seen that before. I've never seen it before either. I mean, I mean, quite frankly, the way the Enterprise or any Star Trek ship is able to stop so incredibly fast quickly, it's like, that's really unlikely to happen. So at least this comic is trying to point out that it's really hard to stop from such hellaciously high velocities and and it and it it does something at least with the multiples of you know visually trying to say uh, you know what one of the side effects of them uh, being able to do this um but it's like this is the only time i've seen any comic try to acknowledge any of this 
Right. And that was another spot of where I thought it kind of might have been influenced by the movie. Because yeah. doesn't the movie have scenes where it looks like there's like multiple, oh, multiple images of the Enterprise? I think you're right. And then there's like the like the ones in, behind the first one are all kind of covered up by the rainbow effect. But mm-hmm. it does look like there's like multiple versions of the Enterprise. Right. Especially during the wormhole thing, right? Yeah. Well, that whole thing was psychedelic. Right. But I was just wondering if maybe that that was the other spot in this issue where I was like, I wonder if that's kind of an influence from the, mm. the movie, you know, right. that maybe they saw the commercial or saw some stills from it or something and, and was kind of like incorporating a little bit of the movie maybe. into it. Let's take that. Let's take that idea. Right. And plop it in. Because, I mean, in the old show, does McCoy ever complain about beaming? Sure he does. Does he? Okay. Yeah. Because I thought, I mean, I see him beam down in every episode, and I don't remember him he's, he's a acting like he did in, in the, the motion picture where he's, like, you know, really making a big show out of getting his molecules scrambled and all that stuff. Yeah. All right, so that that's from the show, not the movie. It's from the show. Well, it's both. I mean, uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't just in the movies. And, yeah. and how interesting uh, the Carl Urban version in the J.J. movies I mean, he doesn't even want to leave the sick bay. <laughs> you, you want me to do what? <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I think that's kind of interesting. But it's like, yeah, you're going to be going out on landing parties all the time. McCoy. Oh, yeah, and that one, he's, he's afraid of flying too, right? Because he... Yeah, right. Take right. that swig before the Taking shuttle. Take that swig, right. And you're going into space. Right. You know, Starfleet operates in space. They, they, they did have some good uh, funny yeah. lines in that movie. I really like the first one. I really like the first one, too. I liked all of them, quite frankly, including the second one, but I really like the first one. Right. Same here. I mean, I like all the movies. I like. I even like five and one. Oh, wow. Five is really hard. <laughs> um, so Spock dabbles in humor. And, you know, so... Uh, so Scotty says, ah, you sure know how to, how to appeal to me humble side. And then Spock says, does a Scotsman have a humble side? So right. Like, oh, Spock humor. Hmm. Yeah, and then and then, then McCoy, you know, recommends, hey, why don't you go to the, the, the climbing simulator? Which, right. again, was kind of like, is that a nod to Star Trek V? Because, you know, we know that Kirk loves mountain climbing, and oh. he's going to put in a... If he gets to pick what uh, what recreational things get put into the Enterprise, he'd probably pick rock climbing. <laughs> but anyways, but then yeah, then then McCoy's just so mean. You sorry excuse for a sawbones. So I was like, oh, Scotty's mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah Scotty's yeah. never that mean before. Right. Just you know, he's just rec- rec- making a recommendation. Hey, why don't you try out the new Hollow Mountains? Right, right. Which is kind of a nod to. Holodecks and Next right. Gen, which is interesting. Which was what, established was in the, the the animated show. So I mean, mm. by the time this came out, that uh, that uh, that holodeck type thing was definitely already a thing in Star Trek. Yeah, just not that many people watched the cartoon. Uh, it's been so long since I watched the cartoon. I do not remember that. So they established the holodeck. In the animated series, I do not. Yeah, they call that. it they call it the rec room or the recreational okay. room, but they don't they don't call it the hollow deck. But basically, that's what it was. Okay. Was it as sophisticated as what was in TNG? They I mean, don't bother explaining anything. It's just they can go in there and then. Oh, okay. So they don't actually show people in there. Yeah, they do. Oh, it's it's a room. I mean, they go in and it's like they're somewhere else, but they're really in that room. They just don't try to explain it or anything. Okay, but it looks. I mean, it yeah. looks like you're really in a different place. Right, exactly. Okay, so that is... Okay, interesting. So uh, so Next Gen took that from the animated series. Okay, right. cool. I thought I read somewhere that it was something that they were going to introduce in Season 4, but they got canceled, so mm-hmm. it never... It, never it, was like, it was in the idea stages, but never actually made it to screen yet. Right. You know, it was one of well, those things that we've always had this. You've just never seen it. You know, like, like 10 forward. 
<laughs> right. We've already had a couple seasons and we didn't have a bar, but now we have a bar and it's going to be in every episode. <laughs> we have to have some place to put Whoopi Goldberg. She is a star. Right. I mean, did Whoopi, did 10 Ford pop up when they introduced Whoopi Goldberg? Yeah. Got yeah, it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Fine. Yeah, which was season two or three. Yeah. Cool. It might have, <sighs> I think it was three, right? Pretty sure. Okay. I, but I anyway, don't recall. But yeah, you're right. Yeah, no, it didn't exist until she was there. And they okay. needed a place that to put it. That makes sense. Okay, the last thing I have to say is... Uh, big Memories came back to me on one of the ads on page 8 of the PDF, which uh, shows a Starsky and Hutch t-shirt that you can get. Look! Starsky and Hutch! And you could get other t-shirts with Cheryl Ladd on it as Chris. Cool. Who was Chris? Oh, Chris from... Oh, sorry. Uh, Chris from uh, Charlie's Angels. Oh, okay. So, uh, Cheryl Ladd? I mean, the best angel ever. I'm sorry, Farrah Fawcett fans. Not as good as Cheryl Ladd. No, she was Yeah, some of those I didn't quite understand what they were, like the... uh, Turkeys need love. Is that a, is that a thing? Uh, oh, I have no idea what that is. <laughs> yeah, so they got so they got Cheryl Ladd, uh, Charlie Angel, and then they got uh, I forgot the actress's name, but she's also okay. So Farrah, Farrah Fawcett, they got her in there, and then they got the brunette, uh, Miss Jacqueline Smith? Smith. Jacqueline Smith. It says Miss Smith, so I'm assuming so. Oh, okay. Okay. But yeah, I remember those t-shirts. I mean, those kind Do of you? t-shirts, you know, the the iron-on type silvery look. Mm-hmm. You know, it looked like a it was a silver iron-on type thing. Oh, okay. Anyway, but the main thing is Starsky and Hutch. I haven't I used to love that that show. They do have the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders as an option too. And being <laughs> from Dallas, you know, big fan. Glad to see we're getting represented. There you go. That's great. That's great. Uh, no, I would not have known that Chris was from uh, from that from Charlie's Angels, <laughs> unless it actually says Charlie's Angels on it. Uh, I don't know. There's a little bit of weird squiggly stuff under her name on the right. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Now, did you like the Starsky and Hutch reboot? It was okay. Uh, ben Stiller it and that, it wasn't that big a deal. Owen Wilson, right? Yep. It was okay. Cool. <laughs> yeah, some of those things where they where the uh, comedic actors, you know, just just try to reboot something from their childhoods. Right. Um, you know, some of those work and some of those don't. Uh, Land of the Lost, that didn't work. Nope. <laughs> that was bad. Starsky and Hutch, eh, not that good. Um... What? Uh, okay, this is not quite the same thing. But Brady Bunch. Uh, That's pretty good. That was good. I like I like the Brady Bunch one. Um, and the Beverly Hills Billies movies I thought were really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, so that's it. That's all I have to um, say. My last thing was uh, they had a Morocco Rico bird in the fireworks that just. Made me think of the Great oh. Bird of the Galaxy thing. Ah, okay, yeah. yeah. Which I didn't even know before before we started doing the podcast that that was even a thing. So now every time I see bird references, I'm like, you automatically think it's Roddenberry. That's what they're they're, <laughs> they're making a nod to Roddenberry. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know what that was <laughs> by myself, but right. Yeah, just some firework bird. It's a peace symbol, and and then I guess. Kirk says, uh, yeah, we have a peace symbol that's a bird. It's called a dove. So it's like, oh, right. okay. I guess that kind of justifies having the bird firework, I guess. Okay. And our doves don't rain down honey like this one seems to. That's rain what I was expecting to say. <laughs> <laughs> Mind control honey. Huh? Oh, man. Yeah, I was so off on that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you gotta admit everything I said where I thought that they were gonna reintroduce the honey thing would have fit and it would have made more sense yeah I mean 
because uh, it didn't make sense why why McCoy was so nonchalant about him making all these mistakes and being so non non Vulcan. You know what yeah. I mean? And then <laughs> about about Kirk being so hard nosed about it. It's like right. Spock. No, this is the last time you got to go back. You got to go go to your room. Yeah, uh, yeah. That that's Bad not way. that's no. not Kirk. Yeah, and I kept waiting for. I was like, what's he gonna do? Like tell the Enterprise to sh- shoot on the planet or something in his crazed state. You know, there was so much <laughs> stuff I thought they were going to do. And then, nope, he's on a secret mission. Yeah. Secret research. Anyways. All right. Well, we done? I think we're done for today. All right. So next week, we'll finish off Gold Key once and for all wow. until they make more. I cannot believe this. <laughs> we will have cold key, Gold Key finished, except for 62 whenever that comes out. That's amazing. Well, Pretty cool. Pretty this cool. is this is a landmark, or it will be. We're getting close to a landmark. Well, okay, fine, fine. This will be a landmark, and then maybe we can do one quick year five episode, and then start doing the same thing to the UK strips. Just get in there, and get them done. Okay, sounds good. So, uh, thanks for joining us, everybody. On the review later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name ST Comic, second name Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.